Good morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. If you look at your bulletin, you see that the title of the sermon is The Scandal of the Cross. Well, I talked with Pastor Tyler this week. I had a text in mind uh, that I'd begun studying, and that's what I was thinking at the time. He asked for a title, and that's what I gave him. But once I began studying the text, I guess I would have to rename it and call it Ultimate Victory in Jesus. So if you're waiting around for a scandal, you may not get it. So we're going to talk about the ultimate victory in Jesus. I'll be reading this morning uh, from chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. I'm reading from the New King James Version, not that I believe it to be a superior version, but simply because that's the one I read the most and I've memorized more passages from. Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this great text that's brought encouragement to your saints throughout the centuries. Uh, we know that apart from your spirit and the inward work uh, of your spirit within us, then they are but meaningless words. So we pray for uh, your work, your work deep within our hearts. Help us, oh God, to take to heart these things, enlighten us, strengthen us, enable us to believe. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For me, the biggest struggle, whenever I do preach, is how to begin. Now, a lot of people will probably be, when's he going to end? But for me, it's, how do I begin? And I really don't have any stories this morning or any jokes that are fresh. So what I'm going to do is just jump right into the text. I'm going to cover a few key points of doctrine and then make some applications. In verse 31, and again in verse 33, I want to focus upon uh, these great truths. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? These things points us back to what went before. What then shall we say to these things? And what went before was God's eternal plan to save unto himself a people. Paul has been discussing this. He talks about the salvation of God's elect. And he says, what shall we say then to these things? And he makes that point, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us points to the reaction of the lost world against the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? He is speaking about the gospel message. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If God before us, who can be against us? It points to the reaction of a lost world against the message, against the messenger, and those who embrace the gospel. And the second phrase that we read this morning, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It points to a courtroom where God sits as the ultimate judge of the entire uniform universe. In this court setting, we ourselves have brought a charge against us. You see, that's the whole issue of salvation. Now, he's asking the question, who shall bring a charge against us? But the fact of the matter is, we have brought a charge against ourselves. We have taken a look at the law. That's how one becomes saved. They became aware of the fact that they have violated the law of God. They charge themselves before God. They charge themselves the very fact that they are sinners. They have violated the law. They look unto God, and God says unto them, the price has been paid. And then he asks this question, who shall bring a charge? He's speaking not now about ourselves, for we've already brought that charge. We brought it unto God the judge. We brought it unto God in faith. We brought it unto God trusting in Jesus. God has justified us. God has forgiven us. God has accepted us into his fellowship. We walk now with God. But he is speaking, of course, about the charge that others would bring against the church, against the people of God, against the elect of God. And I'll speak a, in a few moments about what that charge might be. But the question I ask as I read through this is how do we know? How do we really know for certain that God before us? How do we know? How do we know for certain that God will not bring a charge himself against us? and charge us again with our sins. Well, in both cases, when he says, if God before us, who shall be against us, what does he point to? What is the ultimate proof that God is for us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? How do we know that God is for us? We don't know God is for us by any thinking in our own minds. We don't know it because other people may stand there and say, God is for you. We know it simply for the fact of the cross of Jesus Christ. That God did not spare his own son. That God delivered him up. And he delivered him up for us. For individuals. God has given his own son. And that proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that God stands on our side. If you want to look anywhere else for proof that God is for you, you'll be sadly disappointed. You'll be sadly disappointed. But when you look to the cross of Christ, that cross that's still proclaimed, that cross that's still believed, when you look to the one who died upon that cross, that one who suffered in our place, the one who bore our sin in his own body, then you know, then you know that God indeed is for us. The answer, of course, is the cross. 
One of the first verses, in fact, the first verse I ever memorized was 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God is for us. And then in verse 33, when he says, who shall bring a charge to God's elect, how does he answer that? It is God who justifies here is the one who's a judge of the entire world, and yet he chooses to justify sinners and bring them into fellowship with him. And that word justified, and the whole thought here, as I've already pointed out, is a scene within a courtroom. And when it says that God justifies, here's what it means. It is an act of God. It's not an act of ourselves. We don't try to justify ourselves. We don't try to make excuses. We throw ourselves upon the grace and mercy of God. It is an act of God. It's an act of God's free grace. It is by His grace and His grace alone. It is an act of God's free grace whereby He pardons sinners. Sinners. He pardons them. And not only does He pardon them, but he accepts them as righteous in his sight. If you are a Christian, you can be no more righteous in God's sight than you are at this very moment. We stand justified before God. Justified before God based upon what? Again, based upon the cross. It is an act of God's free grace unto sinners through Jesus Christ. Through his act of obedience, where Jesus kept the law, the sinless Lamb of God, through his death upon the cross for our sins, and based upon that fact and that fact alone, God is right in justifying the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect if God justifies, if God pronounced, yes, you're guilty, but now you stand innocent? Yes, you're guilty, but now you stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Who then can ever bring a charge against God's elect? But when you look at this, you say, well, God before us, who could be against us? Or who shall lay a charge? Well, the fact of the matter is the point Paul is making is that not that there's not things against us, it is that they will not ultimately triumph over us. Certainly there are things that appear to be against us. Certainly there are people in the world who would bring a charge against the people of God. These things happen, but that's not the point he's making. The point he's making is that no matter what charge is brought, no matter what things appear to be against us, yet God has the victory through Christ Jesus and Christ alone. I want to mention, and I won't take a long time on this, but I want to mention four things that can appear to be against us, that charges can be brought and yet not stick. And the very first one I want to point out is Satan. You know, when it comes to the devil, we don't talk, as much about the devil, maybe, perhaps, as we should, or fear as much as we should, or fight as much as we should. But there are two mistakes that are made. One is that we can think too little of him, ignore the fact that the devil is real. 
Paul tells us that we need to take up the shield of faith by which we shall quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. So we can think too little of the fact of the devil, the truth of the devil, but then again, we can think too much. We can think too much of them because God is sovereign. God is in control. And through Jesus Christ's blood, we gain the victory over the devil. In the book of Revelation, starting in verse 12, and I'm not going to read that long section to you, but it speaks about the devil. It says the devil is our adversary. It says the devil has been cast down to the earth. It says the devil goes about. He, in great rage, because he knows his time is short, but in that passage of Scripture it says this, but they overcame him. How did they overcome him? How did they overcome Satan? Ah, oh, by the blood of a lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. They overcame him, and we overcome him. As many of you know, my mother passed away last Sunday. I was blessed to be able to go and spend time with her while she was still, had all of her faculties, could talk, and we could share together. And we had some wonderful times of sharing together. Well, the night before I left, my niece came over, and she had just begun going to church, and she brought her Bible in. And so the three of us, my mother and my niece and myself, we sat there in the room. And my niece was asking question after question because she was brand new to the Bible, and I was explaining to her the doctrines and teaching of Scripture as best that I could and trying to encourage her in her newborn faith in Christ. And my mother listened in and sat with her. My mother was a believer. You know, the next morning, I got up to begin at 5 o'clock in the morning to begin my drive back home. I went in to speak with my mother. I knew it would be the very last words I ever spoke to her. It would be the last time I'd see her this side of glory. And my mother looked up at me, and she asked me a question. She said, the devil can't have me, can he, Dennis? Oh, Mom. Oh, Mom. And I talked to her about the love of God and that God had her. That God had her. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not that the devil didn't want my mother. It's the devil couldn't have her. He could not have her. She was covered in the blood of a lamb. And I don't care. The devil can torment. The devil can attack. The devil can go about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we have the victory in Jesus do not fall into the trap of thinking too little about him, but don't think too much about him either, because his days are numbered. He's overcome by the blood of a lamb. We stand upon the word of the testimony, and we give our lives up unto Jesus Christ. And then sometimes we talk about bringing a charge. You know, sometimes we do that very thing to ourselves. And I'm not talking about conviction of sin, the need to get right with God. I'm talking about things in the past. You know, sometimes we bring all that stuff in the past up, and I believe the devil to be behind it, and we go through it again and again and again, and we feel all that guilt and all that guilt and all that guilt. Well, you know something? The past is covered in the blood of the Lamb. 
The Apostle Paul spoke about those things I'm now ashamed of. He did not say those things I'm now guilty of. The guilt has been taken away. The sins have been covered. And certainly there all of us have things we would say, boy, I'm ashamed that I ever did that. But we should never fall into the trap of trying to beat ourselves up. We need to listen to what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians. He said, forgetting the things that lie behind, I press on. Don't let the past become an anchor to your soul. Don't let it keep you back. Don't bring charges against yourself over things that God has already forgiven. That's not the way to victorious living. That's the way to getting discouraged and down and depressed with the whole business. Rejoice that he's forgiven you. Rejoice that you've come through that. Rejoice he's given you a new spirit and a new mind and a new life. And you can live that life under God. But do not bring up charges against yourself. If God does not bring up a charge against you, who are you to bring it up in his presence again? And then I would say along that line, other people... There's always somebody around, you know, that wants to bring up something. I remember what Dennis did back then. I remember this about him. I remember that about him. How could he ever say that he's a Christian today? He's done all these despicable things in the past. God said, of those who have been brought in through Jesus Christ, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Amen. And who are we? to bring up someone's past against them when the blood of Christ has covered that past. And when God said, I'll never bring it up again. So let's be careful how we speak about other people and about their past. Let's rejoice, rejoice that their past is covered as our past is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then I would say fourthly, that the world. The world's quick to bring up things against the Christian. The world is quick to lay some charge against them. I think today in our political climate, there are those who have political and social causes, and they see the church as their enemy. They see the Christian as standing between them and what they're trying to achieve in society. So naturally what they're going to do is try to destroy the Christian message. They're going to bring up things against Christians. And sometimes, sometimes the charges are a bit warranted. There seems to be an extreme faction within the evangelical community who believe that unless we get the right person, the kingdom of God can't come in. Now come now. I'm all for great leadership, and I vote to that end, and I'm all for moral law that's right in the sight of God. But don't think God's putting his eternal plan on hold, waiting for some man or some woman to come along and usher in the kingdom of God. I read articles from the New York uh, Times or from the Post online, and I read these articles, and they say, here's what evangelicals believe, and I read the article, and I say, but I don't believe that. I'm an evangelical. So we have to be careful. Sometimes they charge us, 
And sometimes there's a little bit of truth to that. We need to be careful that we're constantly trusting in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, looking for the coming of the kingdom, yes, but understanding that God will usher that kingdom in and no man can prevent it. And I'm going to tell you something, no man's really going to help it. God is appointed a day, he's appointed a time. It may be in the darkest hour with the worst leadership, and yet the kingdom of God is destined to come. God has set that time, and he will bring it about. I just wanted to point that out because that just kind of gets to me sometimes. The world, the world can say whatever it will, though. It can say whatever it will, but the world is passing away in the lust of it. But whosoever doeth the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2 and verse 17. Let the world bring their charges. Let the world stand opposed to the people of God. Jesus Christ has built for himself a church and the very gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall never ever prevail against the people of God. We need to understand that. We may look around sometimes and say, well, look at us in New England. Look at the empty church buildings. Look how things are dwindling down. Look how the fervency is gone. Mark my words, the church will never end. It will be here when Christ comes again. And no matter how many gather together, we are the people of God. And nothing ultimately ever, 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 ever will triumph over the people of God. Who shall lay a charge? Let him lay a charge. I'll point him to the cross. Who is it that's going to stand opposed to the people of God? Let them stand opposed. God will deal with them. I will keep on my way, keep doing what I do, keep trying to grow in the Lord, keep trying to be more and more a follower of Jesus Christ, but I will not cringe back in fear. I will not give up in despair. I will not say, what's the reason? We seem to be losing the battle. The battle will not be lost. The battle cannot be lost because we are the people of God. It's not because we're so great, for we are not. But it's because we serve a great God, a God who is King of kings and Lord of lords, a God who rules and reigns over all things, a God who redeems and saves and comforts and keeps and motivates us and enables us to continue on. This is, I'm telling you, it is victory in Jesus. It is victory in Jesus. And I know of no better way uh, to end this sermon than by just reading to you the rest of this chapter. Look, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.